basement of Voodoo Sound. It's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to a very special edition of the Mojo Radio Show. It's a show that we have been looking forward to for many weeks since we had the okay to have our first official former Navy SEAL on the Mojo Radio Show. This is one not to be missed. We're going to get after it in just one second. For those of you who are new to the show, what do we do here? We just find interesting people like our guest today. We have a chat to them and we quiz them on what gives them their mojo. They may have it working in or out of work. We find out their tips, their tools, their opinions, their thoughts, their theories, their philosophies. Stuff that we can take, apply to our world to give us the mojo we need to have an awesome day. And driving the big red bus that we call the Mojo Radio Show onto the Mojo Radio Show Navy SEAL base here at headquarters. <laughs> Matt, how, how did you get that through the guards at the front of our base today? That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't know. I just painted it green, actually. It's the big green bus this week. <laughs> camo. <laughs> With camo. We're in camo. We're in camo gear today. That's right, exactly. Private Robertson reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> Stand up straight, suck in that gut. That's right, stop slouching. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. Now, let's get into it. I'll, I'll give you the backstory, kids. Uh, going back a number of months ago, I listened to one of my favourite podcasts on my iPhone and I do all my training to a guy called Jocko Willinks. He has a podcast which has had a very imaginative name called Jocko Podcast. It's on iTunes. It's a massive, massive show, and it's run by a former Navy SEAL who spent 20 years in service. A number of weeks back, maybe a month back, he interviewed a guy called Andrew Paul, who is also a former Navy SEAL. It was a great show. I found myself stopping my bike, pulling over, getting my journal out of my back pocket, and writing down a bunch of notes. So... I got home and I sent a note off to Andrew and said, would he be pleased to come onto our show to share his philosophies, the work he's doing and how he is being of service to other veterans? And uh, thankfully he said, yes, we have him on the line. Andrew Paul, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Hey man, thanks for having me on. It is a great pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. Uh, Just to start us off, mate, can you... Give us a summary of your journey. We'll start with the SEALs, and there's a lot we want to talk about. Can you take us through your journey as to getting into the SEALs and why you chose that sort of that career? Sure. So I, I've always been kind of an adventurous kind of guy, and um, even as a kid. And I'm also the type of person that, you know, you know, tell me something like that I can't do, and then I just I want to show you different. <laughs> and so you know, as a kid, I mean, people say, oh, you could never be a Navy SEAL, you know? And in fact, you know, I mean, I got the idea, you know, I probably saw a movie and thought it was cool. And that's kind of how it started as a, you know, as a childhood kind of interest. But then as I grew up and became a little older and started to seriously think that might be something I want to really do because it looked really cool. I love shooting guns. I love being outdoors. And that just looked like, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to defend my country. I wanted to fight for people who couldn't, maybe defend themselves. And, and so then I just wanted to be part of the best, you know, at the time, that's what I thought. Oh, well, the seals are the best. So that's what I want to go for. That's kind of how it started as a kid thing. Right. But then, you know, 
people told me, oh, you, you could never be. So, I mean, I'm, I'm 5'7", 150 pounds, you know, was a small guy. Now was always have been my whole life. And so most people thought that you had to be a big, huge guy. And so I had a lot of naysayers, which honestly, that's just like fuel on the fire for me. Mate, this, uh, I was talking to Robbo before we started recording that um, I've been listening and reading a lot about the Navy SEALs for the last couple of years And I must say, I'm really enjoying it and getting a load out of it. But I'm curious for your thoughts on, is there a sudden, is there a sudden interest in the SEALs, what they do and how they do it? It just seems that in the last couple of years, there's more and more information or insights that we can get a hold of as people on the outside world. Do you think there's a particular reason why we are so attracted to it of recent times? I, yeah, sure. And, and I think I can say this kind of in an unbiased way. Uh, first of all, let me just say that on the one hand, it's almost it's, it's almost unfortunate. Like it's, it's almost uncomfortable for me how much attention the SEALs get because there are so many well-deserving servicemen and women who do incredible work. And so for the amount of attention and praise that is ladled on top of the SEALs, it's it's almost disproportionate and and it almost feels uncomfortable because I know so many great men in the army and the Marine Corps and the Air Force who go overseas and do great work and they don't get the same kind of praise and, uh, you know, spotlight and attention and, and, and they, and they, they should, they deserve every bit of it. So on the one hand, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable, but in terms of why I think taking myself out of it. Yeah. I think it's, it's because for so long we lived in the shadows. We, we didn't tell people what we did. And little by little, that that has shifted and information is becoming available. Guys get out and they write a book or whatever. And so people are enthralled with this shadowy secrets. All you know, these are these sort of shadowy badasses that you never get to really know what they did, you know. And I mean, look, I'm in in the reserves now. People want to believe that there's like secret assassinations taking place or something at the hands of the SEALs. And that's just not the case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Speaking of assassinations, though, do you reckon the um, the whole Bin Laden thing added to that mystique about the, around the seals? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, never produced a body. I mean, that just adds to the conspiracy theory, right? I mean, it just when you leave it in the shadow like that, people's imaginations run amok. And if I had any secrets, I couldn't tell you, but. But it's not like secrets like, what's the nuclear launch code? Like, (laughs) (laughs) And thank God for that, right? Right. Yeah, I don't want to know that. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to inoculate ourselves to stress and fear? It doesn't mean that, you know, when you get inoculation like, uh, you know, antiviral or whatever, like you're, it doesn't mean you still can't get sick from another strain or something like that, right? But I think that the more you train, the more you subject yourself to stressful situations and learn to work through it, the less stressful situations affect you. And I think that's where we really see a, a very big difference in, in people and how they respond or react to uh, tumultuous situations. I think some people, some people may naturally be able to relax better than others, but I also think it can, I definitely think it can be trained to analyze the situation and then respond rather than reacting and losing your shit just because something's going going down. In in a combat situation and or in your day-to-day life in the mortgage industry, Andrew, do you 
Do you have a practice that you go for, go through to bring you to the moment? Well, I think for that, I mean, it's one thing to talk about combat and it's another to talk about daily routine in the mortgage business. I think the bigger issue is to have routines and habits and, um, you know, I was coaching my son's football team this year. And so he uh, is 10 years old. And so he's, you know, he American football, not soccer. Um, and so he, you know, got to have an opportunity to be the field goal kicker. You know, for those of you out, don't know, that's to kick the ball through the uprights. And, you know, what I started doing it was practicing, you know, outside of practice, practicing on the weekends, practicing on the days we didn't have practice. And the important thing that I did with him was that I said, look, get it down the way you want to do it. And we can do it the exact same way every single day. So when the ball gets set, you're going to step back a certain way. You're going to step to the side a certain way. You're going to take the same breath. You're going to have the same thought. And you're going to build a routine in the half. That way, when you get into the game and the stress and the pressure is on, you go back to that routine. And there's a connection that happens between your mind and your body that just takes you back to that spot you're doing what you're trained to do. Uh, so I think routines help do that. I, um, I, I coach one of my kids rugby union teams over here and um, I guess you'd probably agree with me. I mean, I've never been in combat, but I reckon sometimes I'd rather be in combat than be coaching 10-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, in, in, uh, the, so now, by the way, so the football season just ended and, my, and you'll be proud to know my both my boys uh, play rugby and have been playing for about four years now, so they just started their rugby season. Nice. And I love <laughs> It's fun, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, there's, you know, like the mortgage business is, is, a, is a heck of a lot harder for a lot of reasons than combat. And, you know, most people think, oh, combat's so tough. Well, you know what? It's not a big deal if you've accepted your fate and you're going out to do God's work and you're, you're with your brothers fighting for a really high purpose. The, the death and destruction is not really a big deal. Um, it's, it's really pretty simple. I mean, there's basic maneuvers. There's enemies trying to kill you. You're trying to kill them. I mean, it's, it's not really complicated stuff. Um, you know, you get into business, and now you've got a lot of personalities to deal with. You've got a lot of different people involved in a, in a business deal or a transaction, buying or selling a house, for example. A lot of different sets of expectations. People who bought a house or sold a house before, they think they know how it's supposed to go. Uh, different experiences. Different tolerances for stress. Something goes sideways in the deal, and two of the people are freaking out, and the other people are like, hey, this is no big deal. And so that's a lot more dynamic, honestly. Business deals and, and dealing with people is a lot more dynamic. The, the transition going from a Navy SEAL and you're uh, jumping out of aircrafts and shooting stuff and blowing stuff up and you're in combat, the adrenaline, the camaraderie, that you have, and then you transition into the mortgage industry. And I suspect a lot of people go through the same thing, Andrew, and I know you thought long and hard and you've been through it yourself. How, how does someone manage that transition? You have to find a, a, a purpose behind what it is you're going to do. Because if you're just showing up to work, it is real easy to start saying, well, this job sucks. What am I doing here? I mean, you have to balance the fact that you might be sitting at a desk right now and that's what's paying the bills, right? That's what's putting food on the table. That's what's providing a way of life for your family now. So you got to do it. You can't walk out on that. So you've got to, you've got to find something in that job 
or in that vocation, whatever it is, that you're like, that you play games with yourself about making it fun or interesting and why you're doing it. And for me, in the mortgage business, it's doing VA loans for my fellow veterans. That gives me a tremendous sense of, okay, I can be a great lender and loan officer so that when a veteran comes to me and needs a loan, nobody's going to take better care of them than me. And so, so now I've got a purpose behind being excellent at what I'm doing. I'm not just showing up and sitting at the desk and being frustrated. There's someone on the other side who I care about, a veteran, who's one of my brothers, one of my sisters. I gotta perform for them. Can I take you back to February 2007? And that was the time when you left active duty and you moved into the mortgage industry. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty dark time for you because you, if, if, I'm, if I'm right, you went through a divorce, the sales weren't coming in at that point. You were about to be evicted you and your boys were sleeping on the floor of your house because you had no furniture. Was that rock bottom for you, mate? Pretty much, yeah. It wasn't for lack of effort. Sometimes the timing of the tide is just moving against you. February 2007 was my last day on active duty. The divorce was maybe a year after that. But, you know, I go from having a steady two-week paycheck, doing a job I loved, to struggling in a new line of work, commission-based, not really sure what I'm doing now or why I'm doing it or why it's important or being excited about it. Uh, so struggling financially, um, struggling in my marriage, struggling in relationships. Yeah, the dominoes began to fall to the point where I was behind on my mortgage. I was, um, you know, about to be foreclosed on. Then the divorce has happened and, you know, there's no furniture left in the house. And, not, you know, hey, my ex-wife and I get along really well right now, by the way. And, and that's awesome. She's a great woman. Um, wasn't working out for us, but you know, I mean, she took the majority of the furniture it wasn't, and she didn't take it. It was just, Hey, all right, I was like, yeah, all right, you take that stuff, you know? But the situation was I was in a house. I hadn't made a, a mortgage payment in probably eight or nine months. I, the foreclosure was done and, and the sheriffs were on their way, so to speak, like within the next 30 days to be like time, you know, to evict me. And yeah, so, you know, I made a game of it. The kids were sleeping on the floor and yeah, we sort of camp out on the floor and lay out blankets and stuff. And they were so young, they probably don't even remember that stuff. But, but I was up late working, grinding, trying to get the next deal and, you know, look over and see your kids sleeping on the floor, knowing that at any day you gotta, you might be out on the street. Um, that was a tough situation, man. That was real tough. I'll just tell you, man, uh, we, you, you never quit, never quit. It's never over, man. Um, I will fight until the day I die. And it is, and until then, there's still another move to make. There's still more that you can do. You're not done until you, do, until you say so. And so, you know, I mean, anybody who's listening to this, going through it, man, we all have hard times. Life is hard. It, will, it knocks you down all the time, man. I mean, if the mountain were smooth, you couldn't climb it. I mean, I go through that now, man. I'm not on the top of the mountain, bro. I mean, it, it is, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being. I come up short. I ebb and flow and have down days. And, and I really do, man. But I am going to live the life that I say I'm living. And I got to set a great example for, for, my, for my boys because they're looking at me saying, well, what kind of, what did my father do, right? And I, by the way, that doesn't mean that I always do it right. You know, I'm getting an argument with my wife or whatever. And shouldn't or whatever. Should help my tongue. I should have responded better, but we're all on that path, man. We all are, and you can continue to get better. I am 100% committed 
to getting better all the time. I will never stop learning. And ne never. I mean, I think if you commit your life to growth and getting better in some way in your life all the time, that's the thing that keeps, keeps you going a little bit, you know, and you, and you just get a little bit better and give yourself some grace. You know, we all make mistakes, you know, and, but, but as long as you don't quit, you still got time to make things better. Andrew, can I take you back to a day that I'm sure is etched in your mind forever? September 29, 2006, you lose one of you guys in combat. And I've heard you talk about Mikey Monsoor before. And that day, that incident, had an enormous impact on your life. Are you happy to share some of that story with us? Yeah, so um, Michael Monsoor is uh, a man who got the Medal of Honor. That's uh, in the United States, that's the, that's the highest medal for valor that, that can be awarded. And uh, Michael jumped on a grenade and saved two other guys in my platoon. And um, the, the unique thing about the Medal of Honor is that the act of heroism has to be so great that no man could rightly be expected to commit that act. And oftentimes there has to be a very clear decision point uh, where that person made a clear choice to basically sacrifice themselves. As a result, most Medal of Honor recipients are not alive. Uh, there are some today, but most die because of the graveness of the danger that they put themselves in for the life of somebody else. Now, Mikey's situation, they were doing an operation and um, several guys on the roof providing some overwatch and somebody threw a grenade up onto the roof from an unseen location, um, you know, on the ground. And the way Mike and two other guys were positioned, the other two guys did not have an out. They were wedged in between like an air conditioner and other trash and, and maybe a radio thing that was on the, on the roof. And they were wedged in. Mike had an out because he was in the middle and the stairwell leading up to the roof was right behind him. He, he could have turned and dove down that stairwell or taken cover. So the other two did not have an out. Mike did have an out, but Mike is the one who he, it was the grenade hit him in the chest, landed at his feet, and he jumped on the grenade, smothered and absorbed the blast and saved the two, two other guys. Um, an incredible act of heroism. For me that, you know, I'm humble just to say that, you know, this is a guy who I served with. This is a guy who was in my platoon and, um, it was amazing to see men like Mike and many others who made incredible sacrifices and put themselves between danger and their brothers. Mikey Mansoor is the hero in my family. It's not Justin f***ing Bieber, you know. We need to decide who the heroes of our society are. You know, who are we going to lift up as examples for our children and say, this is the kind of man you want to be, be like. And so in my family, my, my boys have been raised with stories about Mikey Monsoor because those are the kind of men I want to raise. Does Mikey's memory drive you, mate? Is that something that in the back of your mind helps get you out of bed every morning at 4.30 to, to get after it? Sure, man, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you have a friend who, who dies, a, a brother, uh, you know, there's all kinds of emo emotions that you can go through. And one, one such emotion can be a bit of survivor's guilt and wondering, 
you know, if there was something else you could have done. And, you know, I was not on the roof the day Mikey was killed. And I have some regrets about that. But I also trust that in God's grander plan, there is a reason I wasn't. And so I wasn't on the roof that day. I, I was home to my newly born son, uh, Gunner, who uh, was born on that deployment. And just the timing of it, that was like one, that was like the last mission before everybody went home. And so I went home just a couple of weeks beforehand uh, for Gunner's birth, which I missed ultimately. But, um, you know, I have to believe that we've all, those of us who made it through that deployment or, or anybody for that matter who has survived something, you have to ask yourself, why was I spared? Why was I spared? And for me, Mikey's legacy does, it drives me. I think of the sacrifice he make he made and one way in which I can honor his legacy and his sacrifice is to make sure that my actions today, my work ethic, how I carry myself, how I follow through on my commitments, they honor the man who sacrificed so that I could live. And, and, and if you've been spared, are you squandering the life that you've been, that you've been given? And I think for those of us who, who, who can brush, who brush so closely to death, it brings us even closer to that thought of, wow, I was really, but, but even if you're somebody who never went to combat, um, just think about how lucky you are. You have a gift that Mikey will never have, and, and that's life. And so what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that time? Are you sleeping in and squandering it? Are you enjoying it? Are you spending time with loved ones? Are you getting into your job and into your work and pouring yourself into it so that you can put your name to that work and say, I'm proud of that. And, and it's something that, the, that, you, you know, that you can be proud of and that it's, it's, a, it's great work. You know, or are you just sort of putting together shoddy stuff? Are you doing just enough to, to get by and punch the clock and get home? Well, what's exciting about that? That's a waste. If you ain't going to do it right, don't even bother. Instead, I'd, I'd encourage you, if you're doing some job right now and it's not super exciting, just find a way to do it to the best of your ability in every little detail, even if it's small or a simple thing, do it well, do it so well that, that someone looks at you and says, wow, that guy does good work. He's all in, he's committed. He's an attention to detail person. He cares. He makes a difference. Anything we give this guy to do, we know will be done well. You mentioned Gunnar, your son. Let's transition to kids for a second. What sort of stuff are you doing today Andrew, with your own kids to help them grow up to be the best they can be? Well, I don't give them much slack, I can tell you that. Um, but <laughs> it's all with love, you know? Like, they know, I mean, they know I love them, like, 100%. I mean, I'm not a drill sergeant with them, but, but, I, but I demand a lot. I don't, I don't let them get, I hold them accountable, right? I'm, I'm, I, I demand excellence from them, and, and I'll tell them, like, look, you know, let, let, I'll give you an example. My older son, uh, Tristan, he, he played you know, American football um, for a couple of years. And then you know, he's 11 now. So he, 
got halfway through a, uh, a second or third season and it's like, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun for me. And he wasn't getting a lot of playing time and the coach was kind of a douchebag. And so, and I get all that. So, well, here, but here's the deal. You're going to finish the season. But dad, I don't, Hey, you signed up, you committed, you're going to finish what you start. All right. I know, I know it's not fun, uh, but finish the season. And that's over next season. You don't want to play again. That's fine. Well, so we finish the season. Next season rolls around. He's excited. The friends are all joining. He wants to sign up. I'm like, all right, great. So he signed up. A couple weeks into it, maybe a month and a half into it, wasn't so keen on on finishing out. But guess what? <laughs> he had to finish the season. Um, so I, I mean, I don't let them quit. You know, and and now the next season rolled around. This one that just ended. And he's like, and we're coming up. He's like, Dad. I do not want to play football. I'm like, okay, now here's the difference. I do not say, you have to play football. Hell no. I'm not going to force football down my son's throat. Hell, I didn't even play football growing up. The lesson was you're going to finish what you started. So if, he's, if he put his foot down, he's, he's, you know, he can make his own decision. I don't want to play this season. Okay, that's fine. If you tell me you don't want to play football this season, you won't play. That's fine. But... You're not going to sit at home and play video games. So guess what? He got on the water polo team. So he's going to practice. He's playing water polo. I think kids really need to be active. I think it's extremely important for their physical, mental, and emotional development. You've got to, I mean, especially boys, they got so much energy. They've got to take that out on the field or in some sort of physical activity. All boys, by the way. And so he had to, he had to do something. So that was one lesson there. Um, Another lesson, my, my older son Gunnar, he had to do a uh, he had to do a presentation, a public speaking speech. Ten years old, and I think it's great that the school is doing this. It's like a big thing, and, and he knew weeks in advance when his date was. His date was Monday, by the way, two days ago. Guess what? He forgot. Well, let's just say Monday night was a really late night with Dad, and I didn't yell at him. I I like, hey, you're not. You're not in trouble. You're, you're lucky. Your teacher's giving you another chance to do this tomorrow now on Tuesday. Our 10-year-old kid, he and I were up to about midnight, and we practiced that presentation over and over, and oh, he wanted to lay down, and he, I'm tired. I'm like, get up, get up. You're going to learn your lesson right now. You're going to do this right, and you're going to know it cold. If you're tired, you want to go to bed? I know. Hey, me too. Yeah, it's been a long day at work. Think I want to stay up here and do this? No, but you're going to learn right now this is what it takes to do something excellent. You write this all out. They had to type it out and we practiced it. I mean, we probably practiced it a hundred times. And I said, when I put it to bed, I said, look, remember this. In the future, you need to plan ahead. You plan ahead and you practice in advance. You don't have to go through the pain of staying up so late and feeling so tired and stressed out about whether it's going to be any good or not. The next day, he did a great job. He got the highest grade he could get. He was excited and he was happy. Um, but the bottom line, not, you know, I didn't, yeah, I, didn't let him, I didn't let him slide on that. No, so, so I'm just giving you examples of I'm firm with them. It's all through love. They know I love them tremendously. I mean, I don't yell and scream at them um, unless that's needed, which is rare. But if needed, I'll do it. Um, but I'm just I'm firm with them. And I'm trying to teach them to do everything that they do. With, with everything they have. Um, you know, people have asked me, would you want either of your boys to grow up and to go into the military? 
Um, hey, you know, if they, if they decided to go into the military, I'd be proud of that. That'd be awesome. I'd, I'd love that. But it doesn't make a difference to me whether they do or not. They can do whatever they want to do. If my son wants to grow up and be an artist, if my other son wants to grow up and be a surgeon, be whatever you want to be. But whatever you be, be the best at whatever you are. And that's the bottom line. So I'm just trying to teach them to be excellent in everything they do. Um, but what they do, you know, moms, dads, I mean, you got to let kids find their path. Uh, kids like to quit things, you know, they're, when they're young, they haven't really developed the skill of mental fortitude yet. Um, when things get a little uncomfortable, they want and they want to stop. That's natural for a kid. So at that level, I think parents, we have to, we have to push kids through to teach them that they can do more than they realize. They don't have enough experiences in life to know just how far they can still go. And so when things get uncomfortable, they want to stop. So we got to show them that they can do more. Um, but you got to be sensitive to when it really is at a point of, of like, this is now really diminishing returns. I think most people, most parents probably overdo it there. I think in America anyway, I, I you know, most people, I think collar kids, um, and, and kids probably need a little bit more discipline and pushing than, than they're getting. What are, what's the most powerful thing you think a mum or dad could say to their kids? I love you and I'm proud of you. Period. Boys especially need to hear from their father. I'm proud of you, son. I don't think that that, that could ever be overdone. I saw my entire life growing up in high school, college, even in the SEAL teams, a lot of young men and men who had, who had issues, usually over confidence, uh, were, were guys who were, they were looking to prove something because they never got the approval from their father. And I think a father who, who, who confidently tells their son that, hey, no matter what happens, I love you. I love you no matter what, and I'm, and I'm proud of you. Now, you're going to finish this job, by the way. You're not done. You're not going to bed right now. You're going to stay up here and do this. Good job. Proud of you. Keep going. Um, is I think that's teaching a kid um, that he's loved and it builds confidence. And so don't be stingy with your love to your kids and don't be stingy telling them that, that you're proud of them. Are your neurons maxed out? Is your cerebellum congested? Time to clear the bottleneck with Mojo Mind Traffic. Just taking a look at head traffic now and we certainly seem to be in peak hour. Things really look congested in there. So here's my tip. Pull out of the traffic. Go on, get out of your seat and take a walk. Let the head traffic start to dissipate. You need a break to calm the mind. If there's a nice quiet place you know of, head to it now. Have a breather, then after a while, get back into the journey. Your destination will soon be in sight. The Mojo Radio Show. I, I know you share a common view to a statement that Jocko uses often. And I must say, having heard this statement now on his show for the last couple of years, it's become part of my own personal ethos. And he said, discipline equals freedom. Tell me your view on that and how that impacts you personally, the kids, and where you think the opportunity is for society if discipline equals freedom. Well, we all want freedom. And we often see rules um, as holding us in, but it's actually giving us freedom. I'll give you an example in business, for example. I mean, because I'm a bit of a free spirit, uh, kind of don't tell me what to do kind of a 
person. I want to just charge off and figure it out myself. Uh, some people who are in business, if you're in sales or whatever, you've maybe been taught the, the method of, of time blocking, right? Like, so you are going to make sales calls from, from nine to, to 11, and then I'm going to return calls from, you know, 12 to one, and then I'm going to do X, so time blocking. I will tell you for years, I felt that time blocking was too restrictive. And I, I, I just rejected time blocking as I need more, I need to be more dynamic in my day. I need to be able to, I need to be able to handle things that they happen and time blocking. Well, let me tell you, you know, nine, 10 years into business now, time blocking is a discipline, but it gives you the freedom to be able to have more capacity because the reality is, is that if you don't time block then everything's just a big chaotic mess and you're not organized and now you're constantly reacting to things as opposed to setting specific time aside to devote to a specific task and giving everything you have to that task for that period of time. You pour yourself in more, um, you know, just more intentionally to what it is you're working when you blocked off the time. And so time blocking is an example of that. Um, it feels restrictive, but in reality, it creates more capacity and more time in your day and therefore more freedom, more freedom to go do what you want to do after you've been disciplined enough to block off this time. You know, I'll get a phone call from somebody, you know, my assistant will say, oh, so-and-so's on the phone. I'm like, I can't take the call right now. I'm in my time block for this right now. Now, you know, not to say that there isn't some emergency exception or whatever, but I mean, you got to be really disciplined in saying, hey, this is, I'm not going to get distracted and go off to answering emails from nine to 10 when I've said that between nine and 10 is my sales call times, right? So that's just an example. Um, but, you know, I, I, another one is, is, is in health. Um, you know, we want the freedom to eat whatever we want. Hey, that cheesecake for dessert looks really good. But if you eat too much cheesecake and you start getting high cholesterol and high blood pressure and become obese and maybe start to develop type 2 diabetes because you don't have the discipline to say no to sugar, then that's going to create other complications that are going to actually, it's going to restrict your freedom, right? You're not going to be able to. I'll go do other things. You may not be around to see your grandkids be born. You may not be around to see your kid graduate from college if something were to happen, you know? So if you want to live a long, healthy life and be able to make a greater contribution to society or just be there to enjoy other things that you want to enjoy, then you got to have the discipline to say no to things that you know aren't good for you in the long run. So it's a contradictory term, it would appear, but in reality, it's discipline creates more freedom. I'm, I'm curious about leadership. And I know you would have been in combat situations with some amazing leaders. And I suspect in the business world, you are coming across amazing leaders. With the people you serve, with the people you know, the people you've observed as a learner, how important is being humble for a leader, would you say that's one of the great attributes of the leaders you most admire? For me, yes. You know, there's lots of different kinds of leaders and people can find themselves or work their ways into um, being in a position of influence 
But don't confuse that with being a leader. Um, I, I think humility is extremely important. For me, it's hard to respect somebody who's not humble. Um, I can respect their accomplishment. I can respect what they've done, but it's hard for me to respect them as a person. Um, and it's a fine line there because, I mean, obviously somebody who has achieved great feats, I mean, they deserve a level of, they deserve respect. I mean, incredible, right? I mean, they're just, they've accomplished something uh, tremendously. Wow. I mean, I, you, know, you got to respect that. Like, that's pretty good. That guy figured that out. Some guys do that because they have a bit of an attitude of arrogance to them. Um, like they walk around like I'm the best. And you know, it's one thing to have a mindset of, of I'm the best or I'm striving to be the best or I just believe I'm better than everybody and I can do this. It's not to walk around saying it to everybody. Um, and that's just obnoxious really. But some of the best leaders are the ones who are so capable and yet they're not the ones who tell you how good they are. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like it's like, it's like a quiet strength. Um, and that's, that's very powerful. You can bet Jocko doesn't walk into the room and tell everybody how great he is, but you find out how great he is based on his actions. I also think that how great a man is can be measured in how he treats other people. And so, if you walk around treating everybody like crap and spitting on them or talking down to them or demeaning them or making them feel bad about themselves to make your, make you look better, right? There's people who do that. That to me is not a great man. I've heard SEALs talk in interviews and I've read about it, that there is, when information or a command is received, it's Roger that. And you've said there's a humility and a respect in that reply. I found it really interesting. Andrew, can you, can you just elaborate on that for me? Yeah, so I mean, in my last uh, platoon there, we just, it was a theme of, of how we responded. It was Roger that. And so, you know, when somebody is, and so I started trying to teach this to the football team, the kids are a little young, but try to get them to all respond with Roger that. Because, you know, when a coach or a teacher or an instructor is, is telling you something, a lot of times they're also looking to see like, are, are, you know, are you listening to me? And so just responding with Roger that tells them, I've heard what you said. And so that's just respectful. That's just, that, that is respectful just to acknowledge, yes, okay, I, I hear you. And, and then Roger that, the way we used it, it was an acknowledgement and an acceptance of the instruction that you were receiving. And if you are truly open to instruction, you have to have a degree of humility if you're willing to be open to instruction. And so if you can't be humble, then you can't be open to instruction. If you can't be open to instruction, you can't get better. Like Lou Holtz said, everything in life is either growing or dying. So. You're either growing or dying, or a marriage is either growing or dying, a relationship is growing or dying, a tree, a plant, a olive garden is either growing or dying, a business is either growing or dying. So what are you today? Are you growing or are you dying? And if you want to be growing, that means you have to be willing to learn and to get better. And again, to do that, you've got to be willing to be humble. So when someone's giving you instruction, 
whether it be an instructor in the SEAL teams, whether it be a coach on the football field, whether it be a teacher, and you say, Roger that. Now, they may not know what that means. They're like, well, what'd you say? You say, well, Roger that. That's, <laughs> I hear you, and I'm, and I'm taking it on board. Gold, Jazz. Gold. 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 It's a gold plan in Trident. <laughs> Andrew, speaking of which, the na- part of the Navy SEAL ethos, there was a line that I wrote which I thought was great. It said, in times of war or uncertainty, there is a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call. A common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. What drives that uncommon desire? I believe that we are all called to greatness, but not everybody answers that call. And I think anybody who's listening right now, if you feel a tug in your heart, like I'm meant for something more, do not be afraid to lean into that. Pull that string and dig deeper. Don't allow that voice to quiet within and let year after year pass. You hear that little voice inside your head, a twinge in your gut, a a pulling on your heart. We're all called. Answer that call. Because when you start moving in the direction of where you're called, now you're moving with the tide. Maybe you're unhappy right now because in reality you're swimming against the tide and you're being, you feel it. it it's gentle at first. It's just a, a subtlety at first. Investigate. Peel back another layer of the onion. I've always wanted to fill in the blank. I often thought I might be good at fill in the blank. Well, what are you waiting for? Go, take a chance. Give it a shot. And somewhere along the line, somebody may have shamed you. Somebody may have made you to feel like, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're meant to do this. Or you're not good enough for that. Well, who says? Who who are they? I would encourage you to take the risk. We're only on this planet one time. Go for it. Take a shot. I dare you. Just, you've got nothing to lose. Except for a mediocre, gray, boring existence. So shed that and just peel back the next layer of the onion and dig a little deeper into that little faint calling that's going on. Maybe it's a hint. You probably know inside your heart where you need to go. But to answer your question about the uncommon man, it's, these are all common men who felt a certain calling and they itched that scratch. Andrew, you're the sort of guy who lives with regret? No. Wasted energy. Are you the sort of guy who believes in hope? Absolutely. Hope and... Faith are, I mean, that's, that's everything. Well, I think, listen, I don't, you know, I'm going to mess this up, but I think it was Gandhi or somebody who said there's two, two chief emotions, fear and love, and everything else is a derivative of one of those two. Of course, the Bible says faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But it's interesting that the three of those are together. 
you know, you, you can't you can't change the past. You, you can't go back and undo. All you can do is do something different next time or reach out and mend a relationship or apologize, take responsibility. But there's always a direction forward. I think you've always got to be moving forward. Um, hope, hope pulls you forward. Faith is the promise of those things that you can't see, but it's forward. And regret is everything about the past. And there's no point. You can't undo the past, but you can change the future if you take some action. That action, again, it might be an apology. It might be an olive branch. It might be a kind word. It might be going to the gym. It might be itching that scratch we were just talking about. At the start of the show, I asked you about the sudden interest or seemingly a more of an interest or taking away the cloak of the Navy SEAL. And you're now working and very successfully in the mortgage industry. Do you sometimes feel as though being a former Navy SEAL, it carries a burden? Like, do you or sometimes feel like it gets in the way of who the man Andrew Paul is? No, I am a Navy SEAL. That is the man that Andrew Paul is. By no means a burden, but certainly an obligation. Um, I think that there's a degree of public accountability. I mean, I have a responsibility to do my best to uphold the reputation of the SEAL teams, to honor my brother. I don't want to say or do something or perform in a substandard way that in some way is um, brings dishonor to the men who I served with and who gave everything. So. Um, I think that it's an opportunity to do something awesome. Well, I've got to say, mate, this has been fantastic. It's everything that I believed it would be. We honour you, the work you've done, how you're presenting yourself with the veterans, how you're being of service to people everywhere in every area of life, mate. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. It's been uh, it's been absolutely gold. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I've got... You know, I've got a Facebook page out there. If you know guys are listening to this and want to follow some of the things I put up there, it's um, you just look up Andrew Paul, veteran advocate, and you'll find my my public page there um, where I'm I'm posting thoughts and ideas and um, just loving connecting with with people. So check that out. Is that the best place to send people, Andrew, to, to hook up with you and find out more about the work you're doing and you? Yeah, that that or Twitter. So Andrew Paul, veteran advocate on Facebook or Twitter is uh, at the Andrew M. Paul, M as in Martin. So Andrew M. Paul. It's been great, mate. Really, really appreciate time. What do you reckon, Robert? Absolutely gold. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, love to get down under one of these days and come hang out with you guys. Yeah. Come play some real football. That's right. I'm in. <laughs> Mojo Radio Show. From that episode, I realise now that you actually do listen to my production work. Why? Because a couple of weeks ago, for the intro, I used a news piece about how cheating was good. And you, what you've done is you've copied someone else's work and brought it to our show. And it worked perfectly. So there you go. We're living proof that cheating is good, right? Mate, I do it every week. <laughs> I'm cheating some. I'm plagiarising you're cheating from somewhere every single week. The real technique 
is actually disguising it so people that's right. think it's your own that's stuff. That's right. Smoke and mirrors. That's why we call it the Mojo Radio Show. Radio show. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. This is a test of the Mojo Broadcast System. The Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for having us, Sydney, and everywhere else that's watching, looking on. It's been a blast. Now, you were out and about on the weekend, I believe. I had the most amazing Saturday night. I spent it sitting on the steps of the Sydney Opera House with a view of the iconic Sydney Harbour Bridge, but also watching a band that I credit with creating the soundtrack to my teenage years. It's a New Zealand band called Crowded House. Hey now, hey now, don't you- Now, 20 years ago, they made their farewell concert in the same location on the steps of the Sydney Opera House. So Saturday night was a bit of a reunion. Now, the music obviously was fantastic, but the thing that it reminded me of in context of our show was an interview that I'd read a while ago with Neil Finn, who is the lead singer of Crowded House, but is also New Zealand's answer to Ivor Davies uh, in terms of being a songwriting legend. Now, Neil was asked in this interview where he did his best work in terms of writing, and his answer was kind of intriguing. He said, I find being in New Zealand sometimes that I'm not hooked into networks over there. Some days I feel like who would really care today if I went to work or not. Yet when I go to the Northern Hemisphere, in the first few days I'm in London or New York or to some extent LA, you just want to work. You want to do good work because you see people working at an intense level over there. He said they're not necessarily doing better stuff than you might be doing, but it's more intense and it makes you really want to lift your game, lift the ante. Now I thought that was interesting that Neil and Ivor mentioned this as well, works better in a certain environment. Neil works better when it's busy and when there's a vibe going on around him where Ivor Davies wants the studio door shut and complete quiet when he's working. It's just a matter of finding your place where you're comfortable, where you can do your best work. I think the lesson for us in creativity here is that sometimes sometimes there's spontaneous creativity where an idea just comes to you. You're actually not consciously thinking about something but subconsciously something pops into your head. So it's just spontaneous. And people go, well, well, what made you think of that? The other part is you need to sit down and deliberately be creative. And I think what Neil's talking about is when he has to, when he has a deadline or he specifically wants to write, then you need to choose your own venue or location. Now, I know guys who work in the corporate world who like being in a cafe. They don't have to speak to anybody but they just like the white noise. There's a lot of science now behind white noise and the power of that for creativity. Mm. Others that I work with need it completely silent. Me, I like it with noise and music and hustle and bustle. Tim Ferriss, who has one of the most successful podcasts in the world, when he's writing, and he's got a new book out uh, right now, when he wrote that book, he played the same song on loop. Wow. All the time. Wow. And he had... (laughs) the same movie on loop playing through Netflix. Yeah, right. That's just his process when he's being deliberately creative. Yeah. So there's spontaneous creative where it happens just without even knowing it and you just see and think something. Yeah. But the other part is the deliberate part. It all depends on what works for you. It's, it's, it's a depends question. Yeah. It makes me realise too, just going back to Rocktober and Charlie Teo, I mean, 
doing brain surgery with ABBA playing in the background. Yeah, but he's just a freak. Radio Show News. I say to you, you've got to have mojo, baby. Yeah. News with a difference. Now, there is some very interesting research out that I think every employer should heed. There was a recent survey done of 3,300 employees across 14 countries by Dal Carnegie Training. Now, Dal Carnegie and his book, how to Win Friends and Influence People, probably one of the most influential self-help books of all time. He's now no longer with us, but his legacy remains, and he has his own training business. And they said that 26% of US employees say they will look for a new job within the next 12 months. 15%, so more than one in 10 employees, are already looking, and four out of 10 reckon they're at risk of leaving their jobs in 2017. Wow. The reason for this, they say, is because of poor management. And when they spoke to the employees, the employees themselves said they're 10 times more likely to be very satisfied with their job when they're led by someone who they feel is honest and trustworthy. However, they said that those who aren't They feel uncomfortable and they're more likely to look around for a new job. The other thing I took out of this, which I kind of think is thought-provoking, is that 85% of them, so almost 9 out of 10, believed it was important for their managers to show sincere appreciation, but they don't do it enough. They said expressing gratitude can be a powerful agent for retention while promoting well-being. So if you put these things together... For me, it ties back to the interview with Andrew Paul where he spoke very honestly, he spoke very truthfully, he was very passionate. I liked the way he encouraged grit and resilience with his children. But at the same time, when I said to him, what are the most powerful things we could say to our kids? He said, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I think if you wrap that stuff up, the leadership lessons in there are really powerful and there is now research backing up the stuff he's saying works in the workplace as well. If you're interested in finding out more about Andrew, and I'll put this link in the show notes, but I would check out his Facebook page, Andrew Paul Veteran Advocate, and look at the work he's doing to be of service to his fellow veterans to raise awareness and help veterans and the issues they face. And let me tell you, these guys coming back from service, they face some serious issues that, that we need to help them with. In addition, if you're in America and you have a conference or a meeting or a seminar or get together and you'd like someone to come and talk to your team about true leadership, and let me tell you, the Navy SEALs, when they're leading, everything's on the line. And this guy is now out there doing a lot of great work for veterans, but he's also now on the speaking circuit. He's a good guy. Like, we really enjoy chatting to him. He's very humble, but he's very truthful and honest. He's got some wonderful stories he'd be worth uh, looking up to get into your organisation or to talk to your uh, board of directors about leadership and uh, stuff. So um, he was good. I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it too. And what I took out of it and something that I've been conscious of since we recorded that interview a couple of weeks ago was that I, although I sh- tried to show it, I never expressed it specifically to my kids that I was proud of them. I never remember saying to them, I'm proud of you. I, I, I don't remember doing that specifically. 
And I've made a point over the last few weeks of doing that. And it's really interesting where your brain goes from there. It, you find little ways of doing it. Like my three-year-old will bring me a scribble drawing as a three-year-old does. And instead of just going, I love that, it's beautiful, I'll say, I'm really proud of you. That's beautiful. That's really nice. Um, just little things like that. And you watch their faces and they do get it. And even Jack, the 13-year-old, and Liam, the 11-year-old, pick up on it. It's interesting. And it's something that we don't do enough of. I don't think it's just kids that pick up on it. I remember being on the Tour de Cure, which is the cycling charity that I'm involved with. And I remember being at a dinner in Meningi on a tour a number of years ago. And the CEO of one of Australia's biggest telecommunications companies at the time, uh, Kevin Russell, stood in front of an audience of about 400 people at dinner. And he said, the reason that Optus, our company, are involved with the Tour de Cure is I want our people to be proud of the people we associate ourselves with. And the reason I bring it up is because he by default was saying that he was proud and he wanted his team to be proud. And it is one of the most defining moments for me in the 10 years of the, of the tour to remember the importance of our corporate partners, how we respect each other, being of service to them. And it was only because of use of that word. And it wasn't until Andrew brought it up uh, and I think it's that I'm proud of you. Just, it, I think the other thing is it, it sort of breaks that, it breaks the, the cycle of just the next thing we do with our kids. And you stop, you breathe, and you think about it. When you deliver it with compassion, empathy, look them in the eyes, and you really mean it, I think it just breaks it. And I think it is one of those things, perhaps, Robbo, that it brings you completely to the moment. When you actually mean it, and you're on their level, you're delivering it in such a way they're going to believe you and look into your soul. I think it is one of those things that Drew Ginn talks about, putting your hand in the water where you, it's, it's not good or bad, it's just the water. And I think that moment of saying, I love you and I'm proud of you is one of those moments that brings you completely into the moment with your child. Yep, definitely. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. You're going to have to start giving me some warning on these. I'm going to have to start doing some study. <laughs> this one's hard too. <laughs> Even right. I would, I, I wouldn't, I would no way I would have got, anyway, I'll try it. Okay, go. Here's the lyrics. A drowning sorrow floods the deepest grief. How long now? Until the weather change condemns belief. How long now? Anything? Uh, look, tip of my tongue, but nah, nothing. I, I couldn't tell you what that was. Not at all. So that is a song called The Saints Are Coming. And the song mm. was penned and delivered by a Scottish punk band known as the Skids. Mm. They did the song many years ago, The Saints Are Coming. It was released as a single, but it never really went anywhere. It then got to 48 in the UK rock charts. Richard Robson was the vocalist for the Skids, and he said the song was written about his friend, and his friend had enlisted in the British Army and was tragically killed while he was serving in Northern Ireland. The lyrics depict the concept of despair using metaphors to compare bitter weather and the emotions you feel in times of tragedy. And I was looking for a song to tie back as a lesson. And I thought about Tate Fletcher, the week one of Rocktober, when I said to him, why is there a, why is there a brotherhood in the Navy SEALs or in jiu-jitsu or people who have survived cancer? Mm. And he said it's that commonality of suffering. And I thought the lyrics in this song was just a nice metaphor for that commonality of suffering. Then I looked a bit deeper into the song and Green Day and U2 covered the song, but the lyrics had a whole new meaning. Hurricane Katrina smashed New Orleans and it caused catastrophic damage. 
And the guys from Green Day and U2 wanted to do something to help out the city because New Orleans was known as an innovation center of music. So the guys got together, did a, a remake of this single and did a big gig and all the proceeds went to Edge's Music Rising Foundation and all the music was used to buy instruments to put them back into the hands of the scattered musicians who'd lost everything when Hurricane Katrina smashed New Orleans. So to me, the song has got a lot of lessons in it, but the Navy SEALs, the way they approach leadership is all about being of service and this song was penned and done to be of service to those who served and those who went through hardships during the hurricane. So uh, here is U2 and Green Day. The Saints are coming. We're out. Roger that. Yeah.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.